0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Empowered Business Podcast. I'm your host Tui Marcus, President and Publisher of Empowered Business Magazine. And today we have Julian Newman, Founder and CEO of Culture Creative, a leading national and award-winning diversity and inclusion consulting firm based in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Since the launch of Culture Creative in 2014, Julian and his team have worked with more than 100 companies and nonprofit organizations and has spoken to more than 100,000 people and groups nationally
1: during the past 20 years. Welcome, Julian. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, man, I'm happy to be here, and I'm very excited uh, to have a conversation with you, as well as excited about the, uh, the, the launch of the magazine and all the cool things that are happening uh, in 2021 f- for you. Well, thank you. I I really appreciate that. Um, Congratulations on being a nominee for the
0: influential awards, which are happening next week. Um, I think that I'm I'm very excited about the response that we've had from the community um, and to be able to bring forward uh, a lot of people that that don't have an opportunity uh, or even, I don't even know if it's an opportunity, but it's just there hasn't been an awards like this that has brought together so many different, I want to say, um, you know, nonprofit community members, business people, all in one place to 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 uh, let everyone know what's what people are up to. And, and it is true; they just don't. There's there's nothing. There's nothing. There hasn't been an awards like this. There's not an awards like this until now. So I'm excited at what this can mean for the future of our. You know our uh, culture in Grand Rapids. So before we beautiful get into it's beautiful, before we get into the questions, we have to uh, talk about what is happening right now. Last night, uh, the capital of our nation was invaded, um, and there is a, so much to unpack with all the conversations that have been happening regarding that in the perception of uh the treatment if the the people that had invaded the capital were not white i mean they were all for the most part white uh and they were kind of treated i don't know if if they were all black and brown people i think it would have been a significantly different outcome uh based on everything we've seen so far with the black lives matter protests so Tell me what, what are you what are you thinking about that right now?
1: Well, I, I think like you, um, I just think there's a there's a, there's a sense of uh, shock, but not surprise. Um, for me, uh, I was sad, saddened uh, you know, to the point of tears. I was angry, um, and then I, I think there's an aspect. That there's a there's a there's a numbness there, um, where we're we're having another conversation about. Um, I, heard, I I heard somebody post something. It was one of the um the athletes uh, from a uh, Boston Celtics um, that talked about the two Americas and, and the doctor team talked about you know many years ago, in relation to what we saw yesterday with thousands of, um, that are being called insurrectionists now, uh, to flood the Capitol, to climb walls, to bring in Confederate flags, um, to, to loot um, and steal and, and desecrate. And for um, so much of the footage that we had the opportunity to see yesterday, uh, there were no dogs, there were no, um, there were no tear gas, um, that was spraying uh, little kids and things of that nature, the things that we've seen in terms of some of the other protests um, against racial injustice uh, and police brutality, uh, inequ- inequity, where um, th- there was this militancy from the jump, um, National Guard and things of that nature. And so I don't think it's news to any of us that, with the history of the origin story uh, of America, that not everyone is treated the same. But, but I think when you look at it being so stark and so brazen and so um, dishonoring and disrespectful, and, and then how dangerous it was, you know, there are pipe bombs that were found. Um, There were that the 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 people, the writers, the um, the insurrectionists, that um, there were many, you know, there were people that were armed. And and so as bad as it was, it could have been a lot worse. But when you compare that to, um, you know, Jacob Blake um, just this past week. Um, it was found that the police officer that shot him seven times in the back from close range in front of his children um, is not charged. When we're reminded of Tamir Rice, 12 years old, who has a toy gun in his hand, uh, being shot with no recourse. Um, and, and, and so you look at these stories, you look at this history, you look at this backstory, and then you juxtapose that with, um, you know, the story of the enslaved Africans you look at that in terms of, uh, you know, Brown people, the indigenous, uh, you know, here we are in January, but in November we were, we were uh, you know, talking about, uh, you know, Native American, uh, uh, you know, the month to heritage month. And so we have to reconcile our, our origin story. Um, yes, we're, you know, we're all, we're all, we're all hopeful for a hopeful future in 2021, but, we're not gonna be able to maximize our opportunities if we don't reconcile our history. And so uh, yesterday was just another reminder of that. Um, And the tendency that some have to excuse away the behavior of some and demonize um, the desires of others. And so uh, we can't equivocate, Uh, wrong is wrong and we have to call it what it is. And and I think that it's important for us to, we need leadership in this hour. And we need that in a macro sense, but we also need it in the micro sense in terms of you and I have the opportunity in our spaces and places of influence to be able to um, to lead and um, and to be courageous. I think in this very significant cultural moment um and, 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 I, and I think we're all trying to process it still uh, because it was you know less than 24 hours. But <laughs> well, um, so we saw those images.
0: You know, it's still we're still in it. Uh and yeah. there's no question when you have police officers rolling up on children, jumping out of the car and immediately shooting them, uh mm-hmm. compared to what we just witnessed, uh, and what we anything can happen from now. Now on, I mean, it, nothing at this point is, is surprising anymore. Uh, it's, it's just, it's kind of like, well, it didn't, I, I'm surprised it didn't happen, a lot of it didn't happen sooner. Uh, yeah. But the gaslighting, in, in when it comes to, when we make the comparisons of what happened during the Black Lives, Uh, protests uh, versus what's happening now uh, during Black Lives Matter, which is still active. It's not over. I mean, Black Lives still matter. And um, of course they do. (laughs) Uh, But my point is, Black Lives Matter was inspired out of the uh, pain and anger of being murdered for having black skin. That is what the, that's why that happened, that to rise up against being murdered unjustly. And what happened last night was anti-democracy and going against uh, the outcome that, that, the actual outcome of the election. There, there was There has still not been any evidence that there was fraud in the election. And now when they actually see what was actually, you know, they're so, I mean, I don't want to point fingers on something and and make false claims, but the black vote was clearly a lot larger. There was more more of a representation of black vote and even Native American voting and brown voting, which there is evidence of. Voter suppression throughout history. And even today, there's evidence of voter, suspre- of voter suppression. And then the Native American community, uh, they have uh, tried to make rules or, or say, you know, one of the things with Native Americans in voting as well, uh, you, you know, in order for you to vote, you have to have a street address on your ID. Well, on Native American reservations, there are no street addresses. So that was one way to try to suppress the vote. Another way to suppress the vote is. When it comes to reservations, a lot of Native Americans live in poverty, so they do not have access to vehicles. So one of the other tactics was to make, um, to make the only accessible voter uh, areas to be hundreds of miles away. So they couldn't get to it. Uh, and, And by actually making it accessible through mailing, and changing those policies that have been designed to keep down the Brown vote and to keep Brown people from accessing equality when it comes to that. Now they're surprised that, and they, they, they say, Oh, well, obviously with this many Brown people voting now, it must be fraud. It
1: can't be real. Yeah. Well, I think, man, um, you know, you talked about the black lives matter movement, You, you know, you talk about, um, you know, the plight of, of marginalized, you know, people racially in this country. And, and I think it's really important for us to, to have discussions and conversations like this and take the urgency of the moment and use it as a catalyst for us to um, create equity and opportunity for all of us and not just some of us. And, and, and the thing that I believe is a, a significant component in these conversations, is we talk about, you know, voter suppression and we talk about gerrymandering. Uh, We we discuss uh, making it more difficult for, you know, um, uh, people that are marginalized racially, whether to be uh, in in urban uh, centers or because of segregation, ghettos were formed or reservations and all the different things that we're talking about. Um, It's easy for us to talk or there's it's easy for certain groups to talk negatively about these marginalized people because there's no relationship. And so as we sit there and we look at you know the history, our origin story, our origin story of America said these people are human and other people aren't. Um, these people deserve um, access and these people don't. The, these uh, people are to be used for their wealth or their um, their, their labor, their land. We're we're going to do these things, um, and as a result of that, we've created a not just a um, physical. Um, hierarchy, but an ideological or a, um, uh, a, a human one in the sense that these people are human, these people are other. And so as we are in this cultural moment where, you know, Washington is under siege with, with people that are, have Confederate flags and all sorts of different paraphernalia, um, there was a dude that was wearing horns yesterday and other <laughs> folks, I mean, like a Viking or something, um, you know, conspiracy theorists and things of that nature you know, we're in this polarized moment. People are arguing on uh, Facebook and social media and, you know, lobbing uh, digital insults, you know, over um, the wall of their, uh, you know, their mobile device. People don't have relationship with the people that are different than them. And so if I live in my my bubble, you know, if I live in my silo where I kind of Netflix my world, you know, you know like on Netflix where if i watch one movie it gives me a recommendation of a movie like the other movie that i watched and yeah. if i watch the second one i get a third one like the first movie well in many ways we've we've created these um these silos where it's sameness it's all the same and so i'm not having a discussion with somebody who has that political perspective or I'm not having um, um, coffee, you know, obviously pre COVID or a Zoom meeting with somebody that is black or brown, or they speak a different language than me, or there was somebody in their family that was undocumented. Um, we, we have to have those engagements with people that are like them, but the them is not necessarily like us. And in that um, engagement conversation, I believe that we find that underneath all the stuff, there's a commonality of, of of humanity that we have to engage in, and so um, one of the things I'm really passionate about is um, we're better together than we are separated and siloed. And if we can come together, we can build a more beautiful world that's not just about some people, but it's about all people. It's not just about you know some of us; it's about all of us, and. I don't know if there's anybody that doesn't believe that from a conceptual standpoint, but our operational, um, uh, you know, the operational data or the showing and not just the telling there's a huge gap between those two. And uh, we have to, we, we got to do better. We must do better. Um, We must.
0: So, i mean yeah we have to do better and i, I think that that knowledge and knowledge sharing and, and and creating community amongst people that uh don't typically associate i mean that's how i think that there's there's a fear with the unknown and they just see what's yeah. happening on tv or they drive through a neighborhood and they're like i don't you know i'm going to just stay in my place um and they don't want to connect and that's that's part of you know that's part of my vision for well, my vision for empowered business is to, mm-hmm. to create the you know for other cultures to learn about each other. And I'm not talking just between white and brown. I'm talking about mm-hmm. every every culture because there's bias, no matter what. It it, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what color people are, what their ethnicity is, mm-hmm. what their social standing is. There's always some sort of bias because of whatever their experiences have been or they have one interaction with a type of person, mm-hmm. and then they're like, well, this one time, mm-hmm. I met a, this kind of person, and this happened, so they create this sweeping generalization that mm-hmm. all of them must be like that. Or I met two of this kind of person in my life, so all of them are like that. Uh, but it's not even, it's, it, it isn't about one thing such as skin color or a, there's more to it, and I, it just really, if you see the kids that go to schools that are more uh, racially and ethnically diverse, they just are like, hey, these are my friends. Like, it's, it's not about, they don't notice the skin color thing. Like, it's not a, a conversation that is like, hey, I, I'm around all these different kinds of people all the time, they speak different languages, they do different things, but we just hang out where when you go to a school or put in a situation where it's very monoculturist, mm. then there's a, a really separation between us and them because usually the monoculturist, you know, well, not usually the monoculturist kind of situation, everybody's that one way. So yeah. when one person comes in, they're like a real almost alien to the situation. Then mm. then that leads into the literally the culture of, they're not gonna last very long as an employee or, or whatever, they don't, they can't fit in because they're not uh, accepted. But let's, so let's switch. I mean, that we could talk about what happened yesterday endlessly. Uh, and and it, is, it is a conversation that's gonna be much more apparent and I'm not glad that it happened, but now that it's here, it's something that we have to face as a country and it's 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 the exposure of it and showing this is the escalation that just happened, and from here we can go much in a terrible direction faster and farther. So we have to like we have to work together to find out what the solutions are to make sure this doesn't happen any longer. But I would like to now talk about uh, tell me about how regular people can change the world mm-hmm. and what are the six components. Of the transformation process.
1: Well, man, I think um, I think the first thing is we have to have a desire um, to do that, and so you know, there has to be a catalyst um, for a change world. And in, in transformation and change is rooted in vision, and I, I can't um, I can't have a different vision um, if I don't have a desire first. And so I think the first thing is uh, developing a vision that is based in uh, passion and purpose. I think another part of, of transformation is challenging our comfort zone. And, and so we all have comfort zone, you talked about bias. And so uh, we can you know, reduce bias to something like, um, hey, someone is offering me a different dish uh, of food that I'm not necessarily familiar with. And I was told that, you know, food from those type of people or from that position is this at any other. And, and I say that because I can be real finicky. And I like to say, uh, selective when it comes to, uh, you know, food and nutrition for me. So that's something that my family kind of talks about. But beyond um, having a vision and ha- beyond um, having a, a desire, um, we have to take risks. There has to be a space and a place where we um, show some courage. Because again, we all have a comfort zone, but in order for us to bring change, we have to get off the couch of our comfort zone, if you will. And so beyond uh, you know, challenging our-, our comfort zone, Um, I believe that we have to use this word earlier. We have to build community. And so, you know, building community is um, not just sharing my story, but experiencing the story of other people and creating space for them. I I think another uh, important aspect of that is is really listening. We got a lot of people that are shouting and talking right now. We have a lot of you know, experts and we have a lot of people that are saying this, that, and the other, whether it's COVID, whether it's a political conversation, a cultural conversation, or what, what have you. But are we really taking time to listen? And I listen better when I, when I, when I care for, or dare I even say love, um, those that I'm engaging with. And love is one of those things that the first thing we think about is, you know, Valentine's Day or, you know, chocolates in a box that we give to somebody that we care about. But I think really at the core, you know, love is really giving ourselves to a mission that goes beyond our self-interest. And so when I give myself to a mission that goes beyond my personal self-interest, then I can build community from a foundation that um, has some, some momentum. And um, I think another thing that is important in relation to transformation is truth. And when I, when I talk about truth, I'm not, I'm not just talking about factual truth. You know, um, we're, we're in an age of alternative facts and things of that nature, but we have to bring our truth to the table. And so part of our truth to the table is, um, is I'm, I'm afraid about this. This bothers me. This challenges me. Um, I'm scared. I'm afraid. I, I, I feel powerless. And so, some of the anger that we see, I believe, in our in our culture, in our generation, is rooted in fear, rooted in um, uh, not willing to be vulnerable or honest or bringing our truth to the table, because you know, anger is a masking emotion in so many ways. And so I, I believe that as we engage, as we show courage, as we build community, um, as we, um, we, we love, um, we, we engage and we bring our truth to the table, then I believe that we can learn something unique, not just about our, our brother or our sister or, or, our, or those in our community that we're trying to create, but I believe that we learn something significant about ourselves because it isn't just them, whoever them are, they need to change, grow, expand, and and, uh, and experience. We do too. There was a quote that I read years ago that says, I've seen the enemy and the enemy is us. And, and, and I love it because it, it, it illustrates that the problem isn't just outside of me, but the problem is within me and I'm part of the problem. And so as we authentically um, come face to face with our own f- fragility, our own bias, our own prejudice, our own lack of empathy and understanding, then we have the ability to be able to expand it. Um, sometimes I, I've said, we, um, w- when, when we um, say that we, uh, we have it, it, it communicates and illustrates that we don't but we acknowledge that we don't have what, everything that we need, then it gives us the platform to be able to expand and go beyond that. So, the, so with the truth,
0: that's, I think that a lot of people, uh, especially for men, I think that men have a, a way of um, not letting their feelings out. They have to maintain, and this this goes to mental health too. Uh, that they have to maintain that the, they have everything under control. They're not affected uh, by different challenges or different fears, and and so that shows up as control up as silence or anger. And I think that that's really important to be able to. But you know, there's always this thing that you want to appear that you have everything together, that you're not afraid, that, that you're tough. And I think that, they, and you don't wanna show weakness. So then I, I get it with the truth. It's, it's being able to actually express your truth and, be, and letting yourself be vulnerable is very difficult and it can come out in different ways. So the, the six components are desire, courage, community, listening and then what is the sixth
1: component um loving loving okay
0: yeah um that was that was one too is is people don't i think that we we all need to work on our listening uh because we just, I think that we have a tendency to say, well, I think your experience is this. And they try to tell people what their experience is. And I think that if we had more, more empathy for people where we're actually hearing them, when they say, uh, yeah, I, I live in fear because I think that when I get pulled over, the police are gonna murder me for no reason. And then there's another group that's like, no, no. Mm-hmm. But that group doesn't have, they don't see it on TV and they don't have that lived experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the, I, I just, it's a place of privilege not to have to think that you're going to be, to be murdered when you're pulled over by the police. It's, it's so easy for them to say, well, you know, if you just obey the law and you, if you aren't aggressive, you won't get murdered. Or it's, it's a way of victim blaming you know, I see it so many times when, I mean, we all see it. They'll, they'll say, um, you know, it could be in any situation. Well, what were they wearing? Why was why was um, someone murdered? Oh, they were wearing a hood? Well, pfft, duh, they're wearing a hood. <laughs> uh, and it's like, I, you know, you should be able to wear whatever clothes you want. Uh, as long as you're not like coming at them with a weapon or like, and still, you can see the difference in restraint when it comes to one group versus the other group. And I know I kind of took the took us back to um, out of the how regular people can change the world, but I just I'm just trying to show that with with that particular those those components there, people have to start coming to the reality that they need to reflect on what it is they're doing, and and you can't just say um, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not affected by it. You have to start listening to what's happening and find out and become a part of the solution. And instead of just saying, all oh, that doesn't apply to me, they ha- everyone has to work together to make sure that this
1: happens. How we change the world together. Hey, and I, I would say that part, I think part of the change in the world, you know, just in a real concise way is the inner is stepping into the story of someone else. And so I can invalidate somebody else's experience if that, if I've never experienced it. And if I don't have a relationship with that individual or those, that community, then it's easy for me to, it's even easier for me to dismiss it. You, you brought up something earlier and said that, you know, I can have a negative, I can have an experience in, in and lar- largely a negative experience with a person in that, that group. And then I can, I can, um, uh, put that experience on every person that looks like them. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so a lot of times we do that because we have unprocessed pain connected to negative experiences. And so I can remember a time when I was a, uh, a high school student, you know, 100 years ago, and I was uh, playing football and we went to an area of um, the city and I, I lived, um, in Sac- I lived in Sacramento, California at the time. And we would uh, drive to play uh, one, uh, one of the teams in an area of the city that was largely country. And so there were people that had uh, uh, you know, cowboy boots and riding horses and the cowboy hats and all those things. And they would say negative things about us, racial stuff. They yelled at the bus and all of that. Well, years later, as I was a youth director in a nonprofit, one of the students that I was supposed to um, help mentor and oversee had uh, cowboy boots and a uh, big belt buckle and were a big, you know, 10 gallon cowboy hat. And right away, when I saw this person, this young person that was not connected to this negative experience, I did not want to interact and engage because though I wasn't aware of it at that particular moment, I was bringing him into this negative experience that I had not processed. And because then I was projecting that negative experience, I, he was wearing the lens of the mask of that other scenario. And it wasn't until I began to take a look at myself that I recognize as a person who comes from a marginalized community, here I was, I'm looking at this, uh, you know, cowboy hat wearing, uh, Uh, young white man, young white male as being connected to this group that he had nothing to do with. And so that's one of those scenarios where I have to check myself. There was a song back in the day, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. And so we have to check ourselves because if we don't check ourselves in the process of trying to check other people, we wreck all of us. And so it isn't just them, it's me. It isn't just that group, it's mine. It isn't just those folks. I have to sit there and look in the mirror and deal with myself. And as I come to grips with my own blindness, that I have the ability to see much better. And as we're sitting there talking about, you know, diversity, uh, inclusion, equity, and belonging, as we talk about those particular things, um, we are both, you um, the leader influencer like we're trying to make change and at the same time to do it well i think we also have to be open to be changed ourselves along the way yeah and with that conversation how does that
0: how does that apply to a group such as the maga trump crowd i mean they clearly dress a certain way i mean you can it, 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 but that's more of an attitude that I think that the mag, MAGA is an attitude that has a uniform that goes along with it where I think, the, I guess, the cowboy 10-gallon uh, hat, cowboy kid was more of that this happened to be the attitude of some of the people that happen to dress yeah. that way.
1: Absolutely. I, absolutely. I think that, um, you know, there were some kids that were wearing, that happened to be wearing cowboy hats, that made racial com- made racial comments that doesn't mean that everybody that wears a cowboy hat by extension is racist or they are prejudiced what have you that was an experience that I had that I projected on someone else that was not connected to that um, there was no message in the cowboy hat there was no uh, there was no slogan. There was no ideology. It was just wearing a cowboy hat in the same way that someone would wear a hoodie or a hat to the back or some Jordans or whatever. I think when we talk about uh, people that are connected to an ideology that in many ways um, you know, can be destructive or can be divisive or can be um, polarizing, I think it boils back down to relationships. And so am I willing to listen and I'm willing, am I, uh, am I willing to listen? Am I willing to learn? Am I, am I willing to step into the story of someone else that has a very different lived experience than, than me? Um, and can I share my journey as well? Because again, if we're going to build a more beautiful world, if we're going to be bridge builders, that means that we have to build bridges uh, across Um, valleys or chasms or gaps, um, they're going to take us out of our comfort zone. And so um, I I think we, we, I think we have to do that, especially now in this, you know, polarized cultural moment. Hey, I need to have a conversation with with somebody that is different than me. I need to have a a dialogue and build community, um, at least, and maybe even just even for a moment, you know, for a half hour or maybe an hour to say, Hey man, please help me understand where you're coming from because I I don't get that. And and so again, if I just hang out with, have conversation with I've just engage with people that believe what I believe, think the way I think, worship the way I worship, um, vote the way I vote, live how I live in the neighborhood, then we're never going to be able to build bridges because there's no need for a bridge to myself, you know? <laughs> and so we have these like words that we use or phrases that we employ, bridge building and build, you know, community. Those those things sound awesome, man. And they're great on the, the, uh, the website and on the communication materials, but where we actually live in that and we're walking it in addition to just talking it. And I think that's where the rubber meets the road in terms of bringing transformation um, to the atmospheres, environments and the ecosystems that we're existing in um, culturally as leaders um, and as influencers.
0: Yeah. And when it comes to those ecosystems, the, I think that a lot of the, t- well, not a lot of times, most people look at life in terms of like there's the business life and the personal life, but it's really all one. I mean, Businesses are made up of people. People make up communities and cities and the states and the, the nation and the world. So one of the things that I try to express when I'm making a lot of my posts, mostly on LinkedIn, is that you know when it comes to business, typically it's referred to B2B, B2C, but ultimately I like to say it's h to h which is human to human. Every... Every business relationship is based on a human relationship. Like they have to have that connection in order to get the transactions or or or, or make uh, create the create the the know and the like and the trust from those human interactions. And that's the same thing when I when I look at the society and the um, ecosystem is that a business is in a community that's made up of members of the community, or it should be. And I really think that it's going to take the culture changes of business in order to create the societal changes because you have to bring the people from the community into that business ecosystem so they can create the value in their communities. And if you exclude them from it, then they're never going to be able to empower themselves and and rise up you know, especially when we have the other policies in those communities that are excluded. But, but those policies exclude them from getting into companies uh, because of, of, of they, they don't have access to housing, they don't have access to food, they don't have access to education. The main, the main thing is the education, but how are you going to have access to education if you're too hungry to focus on what you're doing or if you don't have a stable household? Uh, so there's a lot, lot of work to be done, but I think that, It starts right now, part of it is is making sure that, you know, we have the diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in the organization. So how does a company take a first step when they're not, if they're not in, if they don't have a diverse organization and they want to, how do they,
1: what is the first step? Is it a diversity inclusion training? Well, I think, I think training obviously is part of that. When, we, you know, a culture creative, we do that. Um, but if I'm in a homogeneous, um, organization what is it, what is the first step? I think one of the first steps is recognizing that, you know, training obviously is an important part of it, but you brought up policy and procedure. And so I have to begin to look at my policy and procedures that create the atmosphere in which we exist within. And so, um, how did we get here? And how do we get there? I I think a big step is understanding, again, vision, where do I want to ultimately go? And so where do I want to go? And what are some steps that we need to take to to be there? I think a lot of organizations say, okay, if we do some training and we have some sessions and some workshops, then that's going to be great. And 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 that is a part of having a strategic plan or strategy to be able to get to or to maximize or to um, uh, to actualize our vision. But though it's a part of it, it is not the plan. It's a part of the plan. So, for, for example, if we wanted to, uh, you know, it's the brand new year. We want to get in better physical condition and Let's go do that. So does going to the gym uh, include that? Okay, yeah. Um, or does it exercise? Yeah, that include that. Does it Does it mean that I, I need to eat a salad? I need to change my, yes. But eating a salad is not a fitness strategy. It's a part <laughs> of the strategy, but it isn't the strategy. And if I eat a salad every Thursday, if I eat a salad every Thursday, that's cool. But if I do the same stuff I was doing before, though the salad is good, it's not gonna change and transform my reality. And so one of the first steps is determining who do I wanna be and where do I wanna go? And so let's set the strategy, let's uh, let's, uh, assess our system, and then we could create tactics and action steps to be able to actualize that vision. A lot of times, if I'm in a a homogeneous company, hey, we got to do something. We got to make something happen. Uh, We have to, uh, we see everything that's going on. You know, George Floyd, um, Ahmaud Arbery, um, Breonna Taylor, Jacob Blake, et cetera, et cetera, all the things that we've been talking about today. Well, that crisis uh, becomes a catalyst for me to want to do more. And that's great. But crisis, though it can stir us to action, it can't be our ultimate vision. And the reason why it can't is because when the, the urgency of crisis begins to shift, we don't feel it the same way. If the crisis is our vision and not just our catalyst, our vision goes away. And so one of the first steps is determining our vision in ass- assessing my present reality and building a pathway from our present reality informed by our past to be able to move into um, a a new future.
0: Now, when, do you think that, uh, what is the, if you had a a, a monoculturist organization, where do they find, You know, I think that there's a tendency for um, organ, like one of the arguments I see now, and this is an argument that up until recently I have that I think about a lot, and that is the performance factor when it comes to an organization that has diverse, uh, diverse diversity, and that that's yeah. that's that's culturally. That's ability, that's, you know, age-wise. But when I think of specifically an ethnic culture, that's one of my arguments is that, uh, that a, an organization is missing out. But then I start to think, well, when you put that as one of the arguments, then that just puts a value on, on brown skin. like the, Like, oh, well, it didn't make sense to us to have a diverse organization. Oh, wait a minute, we can make more money? Let's do it. So then, it's frustrating because they don't see the value for brown skin until they see that it could potentially make them more money. Then they say, "Okay, maybe it's time to reconsider." What are your thoughts on on that?
1: Well, I mean, obviously, there's a business case for diversity, um, and for some uh, organizations, that's going to be their um, that's going to be their motivation. And so, I think our job as uh, you know, people that are trying to bring diversity, inclusion, equity, and belonging to organizations in our community, and, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. Our job is to help guide. Um, we have to help lead. We have to help influence. If the motivation to get on the road or the pathway to transformation and change is the business case four, then it's the business case four. Um, I, I can't, you know, get into someone's heart. I, I can't necessarily get into somebody's head. I can influence, and if that's the reason why someone moves or an organization go, gets on the pathway, then so be it. It's the same way that crisis or um, uh, culture, the, the cultural atmosphere, has been very catalytic to a lot of different organizations um, in 2020. And so, well, hey, this happened. This was bad. I'm going to read a book. I'm going to educate myself. Well, maybe if this catalyst didn't happen, then maybe I wouldn't be educating myself. We can argue about the why, but if you're on the pathway, then I'm, then, then I think that's good. Some organizations recognize the business case for, but also recognize that this is just the right thing to do. This is just what needs to happen. And those are the, that's, that's wonderful where, Hey, this is the right thing to do. We got to do this. But uh, businesses are in, uh, exist to make a profit and to position the business to do better in whatever industry that I'm in. And if diversity, inclusion, equity, and belonging is going to be catalytic to that, then hey, you know, hooray. And, and there are times where Organizations know it's the right thing to do, but they haven't come to grips with what you brought to the table in terms of this is an opportunity for us to do better. And so one of the things that I try to talk, I talk about sometimes is I'm I'm a sports guy. I love, I love basketball and love football and things of that nature. But um, I, you know, I look at Shaquille O'Neal, you know, Shaquille O'Neal is one of the uh, top 50 greatest players of all time, all time, amazing center uh, played for, I think, six different teams. And, and, I, and I, I'll say, can you envision building an all-time greatest team? But all your players, you had five Shaqs, okay? So Shaq was playing center, power forward, small forward, shooting guard, and point guard. Now, from a talent standpoint, if we could uh, put a, a number attached to his talent – you're going to be off the charts, but man, if Shaq is your point guard and your small forward and all those dudes are like seven 30, <clears throat> you're going to have a difficult time. So though your talent uh, level is high, your diversity minimizes your capacity. And so, if you have a diversity of talent, you throw maybe a lesser talent, but a smaller guy running point guard that is able to do um, the, the skills at a higher level, you have a more successful team. And so when we look at homogeneity, it's basically running on the court with five shacks. And in order for us to elevate, we've got to have some different talent on the team, in order for us to maximize our organ, our organizational potential. <laughs> I love that running on the court with five shacks.
0: <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, that's a really, uh, yeah, that's a really great way to put that. Now, what what is it that? Um, how can we? how can empowered business help you in your efforts or or in the community or even even on a national level because i think that i think that part of the progress that's really going to help is, is to not only expose people in our area to local voices such as yourself but also national voices but also to take your voice and help amplify it because The more of us that work together and have these discussions, I think that more discussions will happen. And I think that that's how we're going to make it is learning about each other and connecting and creating community is how this is going to happen.
1: Well, hey, man, I think um, what can you do? I think you've done some of that already. The fact that we're having the chance to be able to talk today and the fact that, you know, I, I get to be a part culture creative gets to be a part of this larger community of, uh, you know, change uh, world changers and transformation agents is pretty awesome. You know, so I feel good about that to be a part of uh, the Avengers, um, (laughs) you know, in power magazine. So uh, that's cool. I I would also say um, that uh, I, I would love to, you know, be connected to, Hey, if there's anybody that's, um, Uh, in the community that is either an organization that wants to maybe go on the diversity inclusion equity belonging journey Uh, you know we would love to be connected to, to them or there's someone that they know um organizationally that that needs some help i mean culture creative does that type of work and that's that's great but but i think in addition to that the third thing would be to continue to challenge people to to get outside of their comfort zone and build a relationship with someone new, maybe in 2021 that's what we we need to do. That in 2021 we are going to get outside of our comfort zone and have a conversation and build community that someone's outside of our circle. And and I believe that if we can continue, if we can we can do that, take that one action step, that one. That one keystone habit um, to use, I think uh, uh, there's a book called Habit. And I can't remember. I think it's Charles Dunhig that, that came up with that, the keystone habit. That one thing can open up doors to, to so many other things that are positive. And so that is exciting. And I believe it can be transformational um, to the Great Grand Rapids community um, as well um, as the world around us.
0: Absolutely, uh, a, a comfort zone is really that's everything. Everything it's almost like all of it goes back to comfort. When the people that have the comfort don't want to get, they don't want to lose it. They're like, well, "My life is already easy. Why do Why do I want to make it more difficult?" But in order to create, in order for us to have, I mean, even if you want to, if even if you do want to think about your own comfort, and I'm talking about the people that are have the comfort right now, they're gonna lose that comfort eventually. And the reason why is because the economy is gonna collapse if we do not invest in the historically excluded people, Native Americans, Hispanics, Black, I mean, the, the, those those communities are growing. There's not enough jobs. There's not enough opportunities. And those communities are going to create the job opportunities for their own people. And our, our economy depends on. it. So whether, whether Man, the ch- I, whether the change is going to be intrinsic or extrinsic at some point that it, it's going to have to happen or the economy will just collapse.
1: Well, I think, um, you know, I like to think that, um, you know, one of the things that keeps me going and keeps me motivated as we were talking about motivation earlier is this belief that we can do it, this belief that we can build a more beautiful world, this belief that we can come together um, and we can look at uh, the challenges that we face, whether it be economically, whether it be uh, relationally, racially, culturally, et cetera, et cetera, that we can uh, as the challenge rises, we can we can we can meet it. And, and I think that that collective, um, that collective hope or that belief um, is, is one of the reasons why I do this work. It's one of the reasons why culture creative is culture creative and our tagline is, um, you know, a beautiful together. Because if we're not reaching for something that is beautiful, then man, what are we doing? And, um, you know, I think that's the reason why on um, the, the back end of the I have a dream speech resonates so deeply is because there's this beautiful together um, crescendo of this uh, this great oration at this iconic moment. And, and for, for those that have never actually read the whole speech, they actually should instead of that last like 30 seconds. But what I would say is that crescendo, and, and I say that because there's a whole lot of amazing stuff in the speech way before the, the ending, you know, finale or stanza. But, but I think the reason why it resonates is because there's this element of hope that at the core of us, we all wanna carry. And as we've gotten older, um, some of that childlike wonder might have gotten choked out through, um, just through the, the, the bumps and bruises of life. But I believe it's in that hope that it gives us the momentum to be able to bring change. And so, you know, that means that we still have to have hard conversations. We still have to look, look at ugly things. We do still have to, to navigate inequity and all the different stuff that, that is out there. We, we can't be Pollyanna in our, um, our pursuit or our methodology to be able to deal with difficult things, but our motivation um, motivation is the good. Our motivation to go to that uh that fitness class and get on that spin, that that bike at 6 a.m. in the morning is because you know what? This next summer, my beach body is gonna be banging. So I'm gonna get out there and I'm gonna do this thing. And so the reason why I go through the difficulty of the spin class at six a.m. in the morning and get sweaty, it's inconvenience. I gotta get up early, is because this next summer, man. You know, my triceps are going to be busting out. And so it's the hope of the future that gives you the motivation to press through the resistance of the now. And and, and, and so for me and for our group, for for our organization, Culture Creative, we want to partner with, with, um, with companies that, that want to help make that happen um, for our community and for our world.
0: Yeah, you know, I love that. I love that ending on that. The hope for the future to push through the resistance of the now, and that's exactly what is happening. And that and that's um, that's a great great place to end this conversation. Yeah. Uh, I really love that. That's that's I love that, and I love a beautiful together. We all are all working to a beautiful together, and those are two really great uh, statements to end that on. So, finally, Julian. Tell me how somebody can contact you. What are the, what's the social media, email, website address?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. You can, um, you can uh, find us at um, culturecreative.tv. Uh, you can follow us on uh, Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, we are uh, culture creative. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram, Facebook um, and culture creative is also on LinkedIn as well. So if you're out there and you want to continue the conversation, or uh, you want to um, look to maybe a culture creative partner with you along your journey of diversity, inclusion, equity, belonging, uh, we would love to hear from you.
0: Great, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Julian. Uh, I I feel truly inspired by hearing what you had to say. It's, you know, the hope for the future pushed through resistance of the now that's like that's 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 really uh something i'm gonna i'm gonna make a point of expressing that but thank you so much again for today and i'll talk to you soon all right thank you thank you so much for joining us today i am your host two eagles marcus founder of empowered x empowered business and empowered talent if you haven't already Please subscribe and leave a five star review on the Empowered X channel to get weekly access to the BIPOC action takers and change makers in business, entrepreneurship, and social justice. Remember, there is no community without unity, and it is essential that we all work together to ensure a prosperous and sustainable future. Stay strong, never stop learning, and never stop moving forward.